Welcome to South Lansing Christian Church again. My name is Walter and I'm the teaching and small groups minister here at South. I'm glad to be with you all. First service wasn't excited about the snow, but I can see by the way that you're looking at me that you guys are excited with me about a good snowy morning. It's going to be a great day. Yes, exactly. It's going to be a great day here as together as God's people. We're in the middle of this series called Give Up. We're looking at all the ways in which Jesus calls people to follow him and how that's often closely associated with giving something up. And while it might feel weird to talk about giving up when we're all doing our best to hold on to our New Year's resolutions and and our goals for 2023, this is where God has us right now, talking about giving up. Now speaking of giving up, I'm good at giving some things up, actually too good at giving some things up. And one of those things is my connection to other people. I'm an introvert by nature, and combine that with full-on nuance wander, and nuance wanders are all about like kind of going it alone and uh, figuring things out ourselves, and it, it just leads to me wanting to do things my own way in my own time by myself. I've got a little bit of this, uh, you know, this American individualism that is, uh, is, is instilled in me. And so instead of asking someone for help, I'm going to look it up on YouTube. I'm going to do research. I'm going to figure out how to do this, you know, task, whatever it is myself. Instead of borrowing a tool, a hundred times out of a hundred times, I'm going to buy the tool so that I have it for the future. And instead of relying on God and his people, often my tendency is to grow my own uh, abilities or tools or wealth in order to feel secure and to, to chart my own future in a sense, what I seem to most often be looking for in life and in faith is self-determination. Self-determination. Now that, that word, that, that concept, self-determination, it's a, it's a common desire of humans in general. In fact, the United Nations in a couple different resolutions has recognized the right, the basic human right of self-determination. This is what they say. All peoples have the right of self-determination. By virtue of that right, they freely determine their political status and freely pursue their economic, social, and cultural development. You know what? That's an admirable goal. And the majority of of countries in the world have ratified these resolutions and said self-determination is a human right because, I mean, it makes sense. We, We should be free to choose where we want to live and what we'll do for work and who we want to marry and and how we'll vote and where we'll worship. These kinds of things make sense. Self-determination as a human right out in the world, it, it makes perfect sense. But we are citizens of not this world and not necessarily America. We're citizens of a heavenly kingdom. That's what God calls us people to be. And, and in God's kingdom, some things get kind of flipped around and turned on their head. Things like, if you want to be the greatest in the kingdom of God, you'll be the least. And, you know, if you want to be first in God's kingdom, you'll be the last. These are the kinds of things that Jesus teaches us. And, and so it's, it's wise for us to sometimes look at worldly wisdom and worldly values and consider them. Hold them at arm's length at least until we examine, are they compatible with a Christian worldview And so today, one of those things that we are examining, that we're wrestling with, is this right of self-determination. 
Now, today might be hard for you. It's hard for me. Again, I'm an introverted, individualistic-minded person. And, uh, individualism and personal initiative, those are things that are celebrated in our culture. I mean, we spend, parents spend 20 years trying to move their kids from dependent on the tax return to independent, right, off doing their own tax returns, out of the house. And if those kids by some chance end up back at home after college, then, you know, there's a whole set of assumptions that comes along with the phrase, living in your parents' basement, and they're not always positive. On the flip side, we end up looking at the wealthy and the powerful with envy and, and wonder, what would it look like if, if we were that way? What if, what if we could set our own destiny? And, and at the same time, we look at people who are maybe falling on hard times and, and we don't necessarily consider them to be down on their luck or you know, falling on hard times. We, we often accuse them of looking for a handout or, or you know, trying to get something out of us. But again, God's kingdom is different in, in going alone. I've heard that used in a euchre game before. My wife is a, a euchre shark. You don't want to play with her. Steve and Drusilla are too. Uh, and I've seen people go it alone. It's not a strategy that I can take in euchre. But I respect it. Going it alone works well in euchre. It does not work well in faith. It does not work well in life and self-determination. It often puts us at odds with what God wants for us. Self-determination says, I'm going to figure out faith myself. You know, whatever road I take, it'll lead to the same place. But Jesus says, I'm the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. Self-determination says, I'm going to hold on to enough wealth to be secure and to chart my own course and spend my money how I want. And Jesus says what? He says, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Self-determination says, I'm going to solve my own problems and you figure out yours on your own. And Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Now today we're in Matthew chapter 19, a place you you read this week if you're reading along with us in the church reading plan. And we're going to look at someone who was wrestling with the desire to control his relationship with God and to determine for himself how that was going to play out. Matthew 19, turn to verse 16. Someone came to Jesus with this question, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? Why ask me about what what is good, Jesus replied. There is only one who is good. But to answer your question, if you want to receive eternal life, keep the commandments. All right, right off the bat, this guy comes to Jesus with what seems like a, a pretty straightforward request, right? It, it's, Jesus, what do I need to do to make sure I'm right with God? And, and for humans, goalposts, having a, a clearly delineated plan makes sense. It, it helps us arrive at our destination. And, and so initially, I see this guy's request and think, okay, what? Uh, he, he's just asking for some kind of instruction, some kind of direction to head in. You know, humans like to quantify things, to have those goalposts. Do you want to, to graduate with a degree in chemistry? Well, here are the number of classes that you'll need to take. Here's the specific ones. This is the order that you'll take them in, and in this many years, you'll graduate with that degree. You've got a, you've got a set of goals. You've got a, a path forward. Do you want to achieve your New Year's fitness resolutions? Well, then, here's the number of times per week you need to work out, and here 
are the nutritional goals that you should find. And here's the number on the scale that will help you know when you've arrived. Goal posts help us chart our path forward. And we've even done that here to a certain extent at our church, right? We, we believe that the healthiest Christians are those who, who seek God with their hearts, who study God with their minds, who serve God with their hands, that head, heart, hands, the whole picture of who we are serving our God. And, and we've taken that a step further with spelling out some practices that we believe that followers of Jesus who are part of our church should be doing on a regular basis. And, and that's what our next step cards are all about because goalposts are helpful. And at the beginning of this story in Matthew, it, it seems like maybe the man's request was reasonable, although Jesus says, if you want to receive eternal life, keep the commandments. That's a, a pretty severe response because there are a lot of commandments, not just 10. Verse 18, the, the story continues on. Which ones? The man asked. All right, well, maybe he's got an agenda. Jesus replied, You must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. Honor your father and mother. Love your neighbor as yourself. Well, I've obeyed all these commands, the young man replied. What else must I do? All right, we're getting a little better picture of this man, right? Somebody who was maybe, maybe a bit arrogant, maybe a bit of a know-it-all, right? You know, and I, you and I know that, that there's no way that this man had kept all of the commands in the Old Testament because you and I know how hard it is for us on a daily basis to faithfully follow Jesus one step in front of the other without wandering off the path. And as far as what this man was looking for, you know, Jesus lists a few commandments, and this guy's like, well, I've, I've done all those. Give me another couple. It seems like, it seems like in some ways he's looking for a checklist, right? Have I not stolen today? Check. Have I been generous to my neighbor today? Check. Have I... Have I spoken only the truth today? Check. Well then, okay, I've, fu- I've fulfilled my checklist. I've marked all those boxes off. Now God has to let me in to heaven. And when you put it that way, it seems a, a little ridiculous. But for us, what about the checklists in our own life? How's that Bible reading plan been going for you all? Have you been using the YouVersion app? Have you, did, did you mark off today's reading? Because... I hope to this afternoon. I want to have an unbroken chain. i got to check that off the list. How about your, your New Year's resolutions to maybe pray more or spend more time in Scripture or journal or, or, or engage your faith more fully? Are you, are you checking those boxes off? Does your perception of how God feels about you depend upon how well or how, how, how poorly you're doing on a, a given list? You see, I think despite our best efforts, or honestly because of our best efforts, we all have this tendency to reduce our faith down to a list of do's and don'ts and then to view our relationship with God based on how we're doing on that list on a given day. And in some ways, those lists are are an attempt to, to control that relationship to dictate the terms of engagement. We're we're trying to be the determining factor in our salvation. We're trying to be so good that God lets us in, but that's not the way that God works, is it? You and I know that, that there's no way that any of us who've ever lived could possibly be right with God except for the work 
in the person of Jesus Christ. It doesn't depend on your successes or your failures. It depends upon God's grace and your acceptance of that grace. You know, grace is one of our core values here at South. We recognize that God has been extravagantly generous with us, even when we didn't deserve it. And, and so we let that grace reflect out into our relationships with others. Hey, let's keep going on in this story. Matthew 19, verse 21, Jesus told him, If you want to be perfect, go and sell all of your possessions and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and then come follow me. But when the young man heard this, he went away sad, for he had many possessions. Jesus sees right through what this guy is trying to do. He sees right through the checklist. All right, Jesus, you've given me these commands. I've got those checked off. Now give me some more commands. And Jesus looks at him and and, and the idea here is faith is not a checklist. Faith is a way of life. Go sell everything that you have and then come follow me. It's a way of life. It's not a series of rules to follow. It's the quality of, of how you go about living. And so, hey, you say that you're a follower of Jesus. Well, does the quality of your life demonstrate that? You say that you're a follower of Jesus. Does the quality of your calendar, does that demonstrate that? If we sat down together and we looked at your appointments and your daily schedule, your routines, would it become evident that you're someone who's submitted to Jesus as your Lord? Would, would there be times on, on there when you're seeking God personally and you know, spending some time studying Him? Would there be times when you're gathering with God's people and community and small groups? And Would there be times on there when you're serving You know, again, faith is not a checklist, and there aren't a specific number of Sundays that I can say you need to be in in church or in this church per year to show that you're right with God. But what's the quality of, of your schedule look like? I would assume if you're a follower of Jesus, then there's not a number of Sundays to be here, but there, I would assume that the majority of Sundays, you're going to be gathered with God's people. Right? Or, or how about this? You, you say you're a follower of Jesus. Well, what about the quality of your finances, your financial picture, your portfolio? I know this gets a little uncomfortable. This is what Jesus is asking of this guy here, right? The rich man. Give up some of your finances. If you and I sat down and we looked at each other's, you know, our, our Excel spreadsheet that's got our bottom line, assets and liabilities, incomes and expenses and maybe it's a, an accountant mint. I don't know where it is. But if we looked at that, would, would the quality of your financial portfolio show, would it demonstrate that you're a follower of Jesus? I think this gets difficult for us sometimes. Does the quality of your life demonstrate that you're a follower of Jesus? And you know, we could go on and talk about other parts of our lives. We could talk about the quality of your friendships or of how you're living in your neighborhood. We could talk about the quality of your media consumption or your your recreation habits. We could and we have talked about the quality of your work and how that should demonstrate that you're a disciple of Jesus. But know this, there's not a checklist that makes us right with God. it's, It's more about the way that we're living. The expectation is that we give ourselves fully to God and His work, that we don't hold things back. That was the expectation for this man here. Let's finish up this this section of Matthew 19. Verse 23. 
Then Jesus said to his disciples, I tell you the truth, it is very hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. And I'll say it again. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. The disciples were astounded. Then who in the world can be saved, they asked. And Jesus looked at them intently and said, Humanly speaking, it is impossible. But with God, everything is possible. What's the lie of wealth? What's the lie of wealth that apparently this this rich man had bought into and and that the disciples had bought into? It's that that we can be our own masters and do whatever we want. It's that, that our security depends upon us. It's that we get to determine for ourselves how our lives will go and no one else can tell us what to do. And in this story, it's, it's easy to look down at this rich man and, and be amused at the disciples' response here. But the church, too often you and I are this rich man. We're holding things back from God. We're, we're trying to dictate the terms of our relationship. We're not willing to give up what we need, whether that's our wealth or our time or, or some, something else in order to, to fully follow Jesus. We're, we're saying, Jesus, I, I want to follow you with my life, but just don't look at all this stuff. I just want to reserve this stuff. You know, I'm putting that on retainer. Let me keep a little bit of my former self. That's not the way Jesus works, though. That's not the way that God works. What does Jesus say here? He says, <laughs> I'll say it again, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of of God. It's easier for something that is clearly impossible to happen than for you and I, the wealthy people of our world, to enter God's kingdom, to be numbered among God's people. And why is that? Why is that? I think it's, it's because of this. The more that we have, the harder it is for us to let go. Do you find that to be true? Because I certainly do. Praise be to God that our salvation doesn't depend upon our, our fulfillment of this checklist, upon our efforts, but it depends upon grace. As Jesus says, humanly speaking, it is impossible, but with God, everything is possible. And, and because of, of what Jesus said to this man in this, this section of Scripture, and because of what we believe God is calling us to do, we we hold to this, that, that followers of Jesus, we, we let go of our need to, to dictate the terms of our relationship with God. We, we step beyond those checklists and, and we, we give up our lives to Jesus. And in, in a nutshell, we let go of control because followers of Jesus give up our right of self-determination. We give it up. Now, I know this is a big ask and uh, it, it can kind of be hard to wrap your mind around, around what that looks like. How do I give up my right of self-determination? How do I give up that desire that I have to determine for myself what my life looks like? And so if that's you, I, I'm in that boat too, and, and I've got a couple suggestions just for you to, to start thinking about. If, if you don't know where to begin on, on giving up your desire to, to control and to determine for yourself, then, then try this one on. Try this one. Try choosing generosity. Choosing generosity. It's been said in this church multiple times that Christians should hold our wealth with an open hand 
and not a closed fist. We should be the most generous of all people and the most willing to give to the church, to God's work, to to our neighbors, to the people around us who have needs with no strings attached. Know this, being extravagantly generous might put you in a place where you also end up needing to rely on God and his people. And Some might say that's irresponsible and it might not align with your, your financial portfolio goals. But in some ways, isn't that the point? I mean, what could have been more irresponsible than Jesus telling this guy, go sell everything you have, give it all away, come follow me. Isn't it the point that we should be depending on one another? Isn't that what this whole Christian thing is all about? What could be more irresponsible than giving up yourself, but if you call yourself a Christian and you're not giving regularly to the Lord's work here at our church or around the world, if you're not doing that, then you've got a heart issue. It's as simple as that. You've got a heart issue, and God wants to work in you and to change some things and to do some things. You've obviously not allowed Jesus' lordship over every area of your life. You're holding some of those things back. And whether that's because of fear or desire to control or whatever else, it's an issue and it needs to be dealt with because followers of Jesus, we give up our right of self-determination even when it comes to our finances. Now, some of you I know are super generous and, and I've experienced your generosity and our church is blessed by you. And so maybe this is not an area that you need to work on, generosity. If, if you're doing well as far as being generous and submitting yourself to, to Jesus' lordship, but you still want to give up your self-determination, then, then maybe try this one on. Maybe try this. Maybe try taking responsibility for the church here. Taking responsibility. For some of us, it's easier to write a check than to actually get involved in what God is doing here. And so if our church is, is going to be that kind of church where we're so generous that people can depend on us, if we're going to be the kind of church where we follow God's mission that he's given our church here in South Lansing to minister to the neighborhoods and the location that we are planted in, then church, we're going to need to step up and take responsibility. And I know that taking responsibility is, is difficult. It involves adjusting our schedules. It involves adjusting some of our commitments elsewhere. Speaking of commitment, I think part of taking responsibility is, is choosing commitment, which is completely countercultural in our world that views church as a vendor of religious goods and services where we show up and, and we're fed and then we leave. And if they say something that ticks us off or if we get bored or we just want to change, we, we jump to a new church, but that's not the way church was designed. And so if you're going to take responsibility for God's work here, you're going to step up and start serving. I know I hear all the times I see in in the midweek memo that Greta is looking for volunteers to serve in building the next generation of Christ followers back in Kid City. Take responsibility for our church. Take responsibility for her mission. You know, we've got plenty of, of ways in which we need your help. Ways in which we're called to serve our members and ways in which we're called to serve those outside of the church. Ways in which we just need to to keep up the facilities here. Ways in which you can get involved in, in what happens here on a Sunday morning. There are so many ways in which you can jump in and dive in and take some responsibility for what God is doing here among us. 
If we're we're ever going to get over our, our rugged individualism, then our church needs to be a place where people can depend on one another. You can't have church with no strings attached. It just, it doesn't work that way. Now maybe, maybe you're great at being generous and maybe you're, you're good at, at serving and taking responsibility for what God is doing here. Well then maybe I've got one more and this is the one that's hardest for me. Maybe you should freely accept help. Maybe you should freely accept help. Like I said, this is hardest for me. If there's a job to be done, man, I'm going to do it. You might offer to help, but I'll come up with a million reasons why I'd rather do it myself. But, but as a church, that's not who we're supposed to be. right? Perhaps in the giving and the receiving of help, in the offering and the accepting of, of assistance, you're going to find yourself drawn into greater relationship with God and his people you're going to find God do something, doing something among, among you and your friends, among those who are helping you. You're going to find that God is growing relationship in you, a connection to this place and to his kingdom. You know, way back in, in the Garden of Eden, God recognized that it was not good for man to be alone. And, and I read something this week, and, and it's so true. When God created... When God created, many times he says, it's, it's good, right? Creation is good. It's good. It's very good. And then he sees Adam wandering around all by himself, and he says, it's not good. It's not good for man to be alone. We were not created to be individuals. And apparently Adam needed something in addition to his relationship with God that would, that would help him live a a more fully, a more, a more realized expression of who God had created him to be. And so God created Eve. And ever since that time, humans have been created for community, but we've been constantly trying to get out and do things on our own. I mean, that was the first sin, right? Humans deciding to go their own way to, to determine for themselves who they're going to be and how they're going to relate to God's word. And, and ever since then... God has been calling us deeper into community and God has been calling us to give up our right of self-determination. Hey, I talked too long last week, so I'm trying to keep it shorter. I'm not doing a great time, a job at that today. But I want to share one more thing before we move on to what's next. And that's last week I, I was talking to one of our members right after first service and he made a connection that's obvious now because Christians talk about this all the time, but wasn't obvious when I've been writing these sermons. He says, you know what, this series sounds like it's all about surrender. It's all about surrender. And I was like, light bulb goes off. Yeah, yeah, Rod, it's about surrender. I wish I would have said that, but okay. Yeah, when God calls us to give up things, he's calling us to surrender. Surrendering who we are, all of, all of who we are, to who Jesus is. And so for you, I don't know what it is that you need to surrender. Maybe it's something in your time, your schedule, your vitality, your effort, your service. Maybe for you, it's, it's that you've never yet made Jesus the Lord of your life, and you need to take that initial step of surrendering to him. If that's you, I'd encourage you to find somebody around the back as we move into what's next, a leader, someone with a blue lanyard standing around the back of the room and Talk to them about what it means to follow Jesus and how you can take that step into surrendering. But 
again, if you're not sure what you need to surrender this morning, and you're already following Jesus, then maybe learn from the example of this story and what Jesus asked this rich man to do. And ask yourself this one question, have I been honoring God with my finances? Have I been honoring God with my finances? And if the answer is no, look, there's no judgment here. Like I said earlier, that's a heart issue. We want to pray with you. We want to help you find God's truth in here about what you should be doing and the steps you should be taking. We want to talk with you and strategize and encourage you. So again, find someone around the room and let's have that conversation about how you can more faithfully follow God and more faithfully honor Jesus with your finances. Hey, would you pray with me? God, you've been so good to us, offering grace when we didn't deserve it. Jesus, surrendering your own life on the cross so that we could be right with you. God, we're thankful for your example, uh, for your scriptures, and Jesus, for for the record that we have of of what you said and what you taught and what you did. God, I know that, that giving up and fully surrendering to you is something that we have to do every single day. And so I pray for those of us in this room that as as we head out from here, that that you would put something on our heart, that you would reveal to us the areas in which we need to give up, areas in which we need to set aside some of that self-determination, and that, God, we could better be your people, and that we could more faithfully follow you through the power of your Holy Spirit. Jesus, it's in your name that we pray these things. Amen.